Getting split. Getting split. Getting split. Getting split ready. For my wife, God rest her soul. Oh God, I'm so sorry. No, 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 she's not dead. <laughs> We're just divorced. Unscripted and honest discussions on divorce and separation. Getting split ready. What was I supposed to tell him? I divorced you from the show. Here's your hosts, Doug Katz and Mariah Pleasant. Welcome to Getting Split Ready, Chicago's premier divorce podcast. With us tonight, fantastic panel again, Laura Barr from Embark Collaborations, Angeline Schuler from New Vista Behavioral Health, Linda LeBlanc from LeBlanc and Mulholland, and Olga Stambler from Hearst, Robin, and McKay. Uh, this part of our show tonight is brought to you by Linda Lucatorto and the Oasis Experience. One of the great services that they offer are women's empowerment groups. They're offered in four and eight week segments, usually in the Western suburbs. And the group dynamic is really valuable and really allows uh, the focus to be on meaningful conversation and creating bonds between the participants. Check out her website at oasisexperience.com. All right, wanna talk a little bit about parental alienation. So what is it? I've been practicing 12 years as a lawyer. Um, I am trained and work as a guardian at Lightroom. I've been doing that for probably about at least half that time. Um, recently got my mediation training. Only in the last year um, have I met and started working with Ms. Schuler. Um, and we've actually started a practice together, Schuler and LeBlanc, Alternative Dispute Resolutions, where we do our guardian at Lightroom work, um, mediations, and parenting coordinating. In the past, someone comes into me and they say, oh, I'm being alienated. I'm, it means, okay, mom's not letting you see the kids. Dad's not. Dad's talking bad about you to the kids. Somebody's trying to pit the kids against you. It's become a trendy word almost. But it, absolutely. Like narcissist. Yes, because yes, oh, half so many the population is a narcissist. Yeah. Did yes. you know that? I'm the only one who's not. I knew that about you. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so... With working with Angeline, I've been reading lots of materials, talking with her, working with her, and there are so many levels of parental alienation, and the courts don't want to call it parental alienation. The mental health field doesn't want to call it parental alienation, but that's what our clients call it, and that's what we end up having to call it, and we have to fit it into a box, into one of the categories. Why don't they Um, want to call it that? There was some studies way back when in like the 70s, I think, and some guy that I forget his name that Angeline could tell you um, tried to write parent alienation syndrome and fit it into the DSM. Okay. And it did not fit because of the way that he wrote it. Um, and so it's gotten a bad name and a bad rap since then. So now if you go into court and you say, oh, um, well, you know, this is parental alienation. The other attorney will come in and be like, well, that's debunked. It's not in the DSM. Okay. Can I say something? About Absolutely. That? Okay, so it's Richard Garner. And, um, <laughs> it was in the 1980s, and he was proposing that in all cases of parental alienation, reverse custody is what's appropriate. So if I have a mom that's a malicious mother syndrome, is what he called it, that's bad-mouthing dad to the kids, and the kids are starting to display certain signs, then it's most appropriate to take the child or take the children and just put them in dad's care and cut mom out of the picture. And that was what the courts were wanting to move away from because research has shown that this is a very complex issue. It's called parent-child contact issues is how we frame it now. And there's a lot of reasons beyond just one parent possibly bad-mouthing the other parent that a child wouldn't want to have contact with their parent. So I'll give it back to Linda. Yeah. Um, So now I kind of have to, when somebody says that there's parental alienation, I have to figure out what type it is. Is there a screening tool that exists? (laughs) I wish. Um, My screening tool is her. Um, and yeah, but we can't all use her. <laughs> I know, I know, and I don't want to give out her number because I don't want to, you know, lose her 
as my resource. <laughs> you guys will be calling her all day. Um, but no, so we have what we call kind of a like passive alienation, and I'm sure I'm gonna get these wrongs, these names wrong. And it's basically when we're talking to kids and we're rewarding them for telling us negative things about the other parent. Okay. We don't always realize that we do it. Like, oh, you had a really bad time at dad's. I'm sorry, let's go get ice cream, honey. Wow. Well, the kid gets rewarded for having a bad time at dad's. Okay. So yep. they're going to continue to tell this bad time at dad's, even if it wasn't a bad time at dad's. Um, are there things that, I mean, after reading some of these books and looking at some of this stuff, I, stuff in my own marriage, I'm like, we always asked my kiddo, like, hey, who do you want to read you a story tonight? And he always picked mommy. And I'm like, well, he's a mama's boy. And I'm like, reading this, and I'm like, of course he's going to pick mommy. Mommy's always done it. And now that, like, no, all right, daddy's going to read you a story tonight. Like, that choice has, like, gone way more towards, you know, like, 60-40 if he has an option. Um, does it depend on the story? Um, it does. <laughs> it absolutely does. He, he, he's a little odd, so if I start the story, daddy can't finish it because then I won't know how it ends. Well, do you, I know that you, okay, you primarily do mediation and collaborative I do, um, yes, all three. Do you, do you, but you did you used to, used to do litigation, right? No, I still do litigation. Oh, still do litigation. I, yeah, I do all what three. What do you see then? Do you see that mediation and collaborative are devoid of parental alienation, or do you still see it? Because generally they're working together a little bit more. Is it right? only in high conflict cases go. is what you're trying to ask? Um, <laughs> no, I, I can't say that it's devoid in mediation and collaborative because um, people, you know, there are plenty of high conflict cases in, in mediation and collaborative. People just make a choice that they don't want to go through court. They want to resolve their differences using these alternative processes. But it's not only for it's not kumbaya where people are just getting along. So it, it is a misconception that if you have some conflict or even if you're a high conflict person, you can't participate in mediation or collaborative. There are mm -hmm. lots of seminars and trainings on how to deal with high conflict people as a mediator or as a collaborative professional, and I've been to plenty of those. So um, they're definitely out there. But the mechanisms by which you address them, there's so many more ways that can be that it can be addressed through mediation or collaborative. So it still might be there, but because they've kind of agreed that the kids come first as an example, they're going to be better at resolving it. Well, first of all, they're more open to hearing ideas and, and generating options because the ideas and generating options doesn't exist in court. In court, the judge is just making these decisions. And so the biggest challenge I find when I, and this does come up a lot in my practice too, where this word is just used and what does it mean? And I tell my clients, I want a journal. If you're saying there's alienation, I want a journal. Tell me exactly what happened, on what day, who did it, what, and then I can like look at the look at the sequence of events and help really try to identify what is going on. Is it really the parent that's that's bad mouthing, or is it the child who thinks this is what the parent wants to hear, and then they're trying to reinforce the idea of what the parent wants because they want to please the parent. So there's so many different dynamics, and the problem is because it is so complex and so gray, there isn't just a quick resolution in court. I have a case now. Now, where everybody, if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck, it's a duck, right? So it, it, there's so many facts that suggest that mom is doing things that are really interfering with dad having a good relationship with the kids. But it's still nuanced and it's still gray and it's not enough where you can really go to court and seek 
a resolution because the judge can only do what what um, what was said before, cut parent, cut time with one parent and give more time to the other parent or literally move the kid. And I've actually seen a case where the judge did move a kid because the alienation was so extreme. But those are extreme. Right. And but, so you can't, it's, it's just, the court is just not a great place to address alienation successfully. But, no, but successfully. your example earlier, when you're talking about you know, alienation subconsciously even occurring during, during when you're married. You could be happily yeah. married, but ultimately, you know, creating that. How often during a divorce do you see alienation when someone doesn't even know they're doing it? Almost and how do you solve it? Can the court make someone go <laughs> yeah. to a, uh, a counselor or a That's therapist? So, yes. Um, here's the thing is there are absolutely some parents out there that know what they're doing. They'll never admit it. Um, I mean, at least not to the judge, okay? Um, there are, however, a lot of what we call gatekeepers. Um, and those are parents who are alienating a child from a parent, but they're doing it because they believe that they're safeguarding the, the child. Those parents will at least admit their behaviors, but they'll give you the reasons as to why they're doing it. And so if you can get those reasons for them to be a gatekeeper away, you've got a way to stop the alienation. Most of the time, the hard cases are the parent who just absolutely refuses that they're alienating, that they're doing anything wrong at all. Um, and those are the ones where it's the hardest to really overcome. What we do in Lake County is we send them to a high conflict, Lake and Porter, we send them to a high conflict co-parenting education course. Um, and those courses range anywhere from two sessions to six sessions. Um, the courses themselves, generally, if we get them early enough, will do the job. Problem is, we ge we generally don't get them early enough. So at that point, then that's where co-parenting counseling comes in, and because the education doesn't address their specific issues, until those two parents can sit in a room together and actually have a conversation, they're still high conflict. So the parents who come in and say, "Well, you know, we're civil. Like when we exchange at the police station, it's all fine." Okay, well, you're exchanging at the police station, so everything's not fine. Yeah, that seems super fine to your kids. They think yeah. that's totally normal. That's where you do an eBay you know, transaction. It's not where you have to exchange kids. Hopefully. Exactly. <laughs> but we do have, our, our police stations are now set up for you know Craigslist eBay transactions, yeah, yeah, yeah. and so they've got cameras in the, so we have parents that will literally, no, I'm not doing just car-to-car -car exchange. I want it in the lobby so it's on wow. video. And it's like, this just makes it, a hundred times worse or the parents who want to exchange at the gas station because it's convenient. How often do you guys find that the alienation is communicated where no one's really talking about it but the kid says something and it's like, well, wait a minute, there's something more going on here than we know about. Are there times when that happens? Or does your spidey sense tell you pretty much right away? So <laughs> as, as a lawyer, <laughs> the spidey sense is very helpful. As a guardian at Lydum, I get to actually talk to the kids because um, I'm, I'm representing their best interest. And so it's a lot easier to tell what's going on as a guardian at Lydum as a lawyer. That's what I was going to say. say something. You see kind of the same? Yeah. Well, I see, a, you know, you, you get a sense of the case pretty quickly. When you're dealing with your client and then all of a sudden he's talking to the other attorney and you're starting to get a sense of, what the fight is when it comes to even like the most basic parenting schedule or cooperation on choosing extracurriculars. And so doing this as long as we've been doing this um, and seeing kind of the order of magnitude of cases and all of the data that you see over doing so many cases for so long, you can pretty quickly see the patterns of behavior and which trigger the red flags of, okay, 
something's going on here with the parents. You know, I think that to some extent, some undercurrent of playing the parents against each other or playing the kid is going to happen in a lot of more cases than we would like, just because parents are trying to start their own new lives without that person. And it's an emotionally really difficult time. When do we get to like the danger zone? I mean, none of it's healthy, but some of it's really bad, right? Like there's cases where we're really impacting these kids um, emotions and mental state in a way that can do pretty permanent damage from what I've read. Is that true? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I've had a case where the dad recorded the mom and the things that the mom said about the dad, the dad's new wife and child, the half sibling of their child was to the point where the judge cut off all contact. Wow. From a from one taped conversation, the things that were said in that, that conversation bad. from the mom to that child about the dad and the new and the stepmom and the sibling were to the point where the judge said no contact, from, wow. n- not even supervised, like zero contact until they were going to figure out therapy and supervised visitation, no phone contact. So yeah, it can get really bad. But the good news, there's ways to fix it. There is. So real quick, if they want, if our listeners want to get hold of you, Linda, what's the best way to get hold of you? The uh, best way to get a hold of me is actually through um, Schuler and LeBlanc, and you can do that at SchulerLeBlanc.com. Um, and our phone number is 219-285-2143. I'm like that. Once again, you are listening to Getting Split Ready, Chicago's premier divorce podcast. And if you are thinking about divorce, please visit splitready.com and take our free assessment. You can come through your divorce with your finances, your integrity, and your sanity intact. Be informed, ask questions, and be split ready.